Hello, listeners! Happy Tuesday and happy final day to register for Book Fair Weekend. Today is it. It is pinned to the top. The link to registration is pinned to the top of our private Facebook page. Cannot wait to see all of you who are coming this weekend. See you then. And don't forget our live Zoom book club, which is going to be on Monday, May 1st at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You can get online with us and discuss the book, The Island of Sea Women. We can't wait. Welcome to Book Fair. We help thoughtful women find wholesome, life-affirming books for themselves and their families. Are you tired of picking up the latest new release and finding it full of junk you don't want in your life? You are in the right place. This show shares curated content and we do it together within a fun, book-loving community. So pull up a chair at the table and join the feast. Welcome back, friends. Today's episode is part two of our conversation with Tim McIntosh, who is a classicist and Shakespeare expert, teacher, and enthusiast. So if this episode feels like you're diving right into the middle of a conversation, you in fact are. Of course, if you'd like to hear the whole conversation, we invite you to go back to last week's episode and get all caught up. Enjoy! So for those of us or our listeners who may be sitting here going, okay, this sounds like it might be worth dipping my toe into as an adult who's maybe not in a class, you know, just sitting at home, doing the laundry or whatever they're doing right now. Right. How would you recommend that someone open the door to Shakespeare? I, I, I think I'm going to cheat because we're all <laughs> readers, but what? I'm going to stick with my principles and say, watch a really fine movie performance. And there are lots of them. Um, one of my, I, I got to play Hamlet and I had wanted to play Hamlet um, ever since I saw Mel Gibson. I think Mel Gibson's Hamlet, I think it's extraordinary. And it is such a different sort of performance from a lot of the traditional Hamlet, which plays him as this brooding philosopher who's reclining, you know, in his study and reading books and speaks monotone. Mel Gibson is electric. He is mm. leaping. I remember when I saw him in the theater, there's a scene in which he runs into the king who he's, you know, kind of warring with, and he jumps up on the king's table. And I think he like kicks these maps off the king's table. And I remember just thinking, wait, he's allowed to do that? He's Macbeth. <laughs> I thought Macbeth was kind of be like this brooding Lawrence Olivier type, but no, no, that's not who he was. So I would recommend um I would recommend seeing a really excellent performance. I recommend uh obviously the Mel Gibson version. I loved the Lawrence Fishburne as Othello that was done in the 90s. I mm. loved that play. And I have another Hamlet that I want to recommend, but this very mo- oh, I just remembered his name. If you can find Andrew Scott's performance of Hamlet, oh, it is incredible. Hmm. It is incredible. Amanda, you've mm-hmm. seen this? Yes. He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> He's an Irish actor. He also played, yeah, sorry. Say, he also played. He, he was in the Benedict Cumberpatch um, Sherlock. Sherlock. 
Yeah, uh, Moriarty. Moriarty. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. He's He's so wonderful. And part of what makes him so good as Hamlet is he moves so slowly through the text and he knows every word and he makes every word count. And I think it's so crucial for Hamlet. And I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. I think Mel Gibson, his energy is what made that role. But sometimes he moved so quickly through the lines. You're like, I don't quite know what he's saying, but the energy is there. So I'm going to follow him wherever he's going. With Andrew Scott, it's the, he takes the opposite tack. He's going to move very slowly. And he's, he's so much passion in the role. There's so much energy in the role, but it's like, it's, he's holding on to that passion. Um, but you can follow what Hamlet is saying and you're like, oh, this is so, so, so profound. This is so thoughtful. Shakespeare's a genius. <laughs> I think an element is being able to, at moments, have good crazy eyes. And Andrew Scott, <laughs> Mel Gibson can do some good crazy eyes. And I mean, so I wonder if Jimmy Stewart could have been a good <laughs> <laughs> Did, can Jimmy Stewart do good crazy eyes? Oh, yes. Really? I think it, I'm not remembering oh, yeah. that. Oh, some close-ups. Is it? Is it It's a Wonderful Life or Vertigo where it's like yeah. eyes and he's like, are you about to do a soliloquy here? Or are you? They're kind of yeah. rolling all around his head. I Now, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yep. So, Tim, do you have a favorite? Or is that is that a fair question even? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question. And I I kind of roll between three or four different plays. I could just say this right now. I am for the first time reading a Shakespeare play just on my own, not because I'm reading it with the kids and I've started Romeo and Juliet. Because I really want to redeem that one, as I've previously mentioned. I did that in the fall. So, did you? Yes. Oh, that's yes. right. I remember. And so just, I'm listening along with the plays, the thing, and it's just blowing my mind. <laughs> Amanda, what do you what do you want to redeem? Romeo and Juliet. Oh. And I was just telling them this is the first play I'm reading and listening to on my own. Yeah. Outside of doing it with the kids, just because I want to right now. And it's it's blowing my mind. All the layers Heidi talks about in the first episode of The Plays the Thing. There's just so many layers and they're all webbed in and it's just blowing my mind. <laughs> is, is that is that your favorite? I haven't read a lot of them and I've read fewer, I'll, I'll say, this go-round. But... I really loved Much Ado About Nothing. Mm. I think it is so funny mm-hmm. and delightful. But I do also love Hamlet. And I, re- I really think I'm going to love Romeo and Juliet. I think it's going to be up there. I, I don't think- count my ninth grade experience because I don't <laughs> even remember it. <laughs> we, do, we need to, do I need to circle back and answer the question? Are we, or do you want to keep going where we are? Yeah, no, I would love to know what what your favorite is. For me, I kind of cycle between three plays. Hamlet and King Lear, I think, are my two favorites. And it's kind of like, which one did I see most recently? Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, But I have a close third that sometimes peaks into first place, and no one's ever read it. 
it's really hard play, but it's a it's a Titanic work. Coriolanus. Have you ever seen or read Coriolanus? I haven't. No. Mm-mm. I can't even I can't even express how good it is. It's the story of a Roman general, Caius Martius, who is raised by his mother to be an absolute like warrior king of Rome, and he is. He's he's nobody can beat him. The Romans' uh, chief enemies then were the Volscians, and Coriolanus goes to the Volscians, and he defeats them in Coriolai, the city of Coriolai, and he's so heralded that everyone calls him after his you know victory at Coriolai. They call him Cor- Coriolanus. And I think it's the the language is the most beautiful and dense and powerful, and it is just a brilliant story. Ray Fiennes did a movie version of it not huh. that long ago, and it's good. But if you can find the Alan Howard version from the 1980s, just hold on to your hats. It's Alan Howard apparently <laughs> is this – he never really went to Hollywood. He wanted to just stay and be a Shakespeare actor, and all of his friends that were Shakespeare actors are like, this is the guy. This is the real – champion of all of us. And the only thing that I know that Alan Howard did for Hollywood, you're not going to believe it. The voice of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> Isn't wow, that weird? Isn't really? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's wow, just a great, interesting. yeah, great actor. What, what is Shakespeare saying in Coriolanus that you connect to so much? He, Coriolanus, I think there's two things. I think that most viewers see Coriolanus and 30 minutes in, he is the most arrogant person that they have ever come across in any setting ever. And he is beyond arrogant. He knows what a great warrior he is and you kind of love him. And you know, you know, like, like pride and arrogance is one of the most, like one of the least appealing aspects of human behavior, but he's magnetic. And I think it's, it's remarkable that Shakespeare manages to pull this, this pugnacious, arrogant, prideful man who will not listen to what anybody says is like in a lot of ways, like really worthy of esteem. And part of it is because he is a man of absolute principle. You could say that his problem is that he has no ability to flex in his principles. But Sarah Jane Bentley and I did the show together and we're we both kind of in the first couple acts of the play, we we're like, golly, he's so hubristic and he's awesome. And, and part of the thing that we <laughs> liked so much is that he's like, listen, I'm a great man. Great men need to rule great cities like Rome. Um, all of you plebes, just get out of my way. You just need to get out of my way. Let let great men do it. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're so arrogant. What about power to the people? But you are a great man and maybe you should be in charge. It's just a funny thing that it, I mean, it's, it really is. It really is. And the other thing that is really appealing about him, or about, I should say about the play, is that I'm going to go ahead and give away the conclusion almost all of the conclusion of the play. He gets so angry, does Coriolanus, with the kind of like people, the demos, the people, that he's like, fine, 
you don't want to listen to me, you don't want to respect me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go join the Volskins. So he leaves town, he joins up with his arch enemies, and he's like, you know what we need to do? We need to march on Rome. And they marched on Rome. And while he's on the path to Rome, Rome is terrified down to their socks. They know what a great warrior he is. Everyone's freaking out. The ones who hated him 30 minutes before, they're like, oh my goodness, he was so great. How did we ever turn our back on him? He's so wonderful. And so who do they send out to plead their case? They send out his mother and his mother meets him outside of the city. And at this part, fast forward, if you don't want to know what happens, his mother appeals to his greatness. And she's like, and part of your greatness is to have mercy on your city. And Coriolanus relents. He listens to his mother. That's not the very end of the play, but that's all I'll say. And it's like, it's, it's beautiful and bizarre at the same time. It's such a great play. <laughs> you have Mothers, this is the power you have. Mothers, this is the power you have. That's right. Lay out. <laughs> it would be interesting to know what, what you guys think of his mother. She is not a... How do I say this? You will know why Coriolanus is the way that he is after you meet his mother, if that makes sense. She is mm. tough. Tough. Hmm. Wow. Well, That's exciting. I have one more question, and I'm not trying to monopolize you guys. So you you guys jump in too with your questions. But related to, do you have a favorite? Do you think that there is a best work of Shakespeare? I think his best best is probably Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And I and I love Macbeth. Um I think Macbeth it's kind of like everything that makes him great is operating at maximum power. And I think the plotting of Macbeth is extraordinary. I think there are times in even in Hamlet. I think act 4 of Hamlet is largely cut from performances because it's not great. It just, hmm. we're kind of like, we need to get Hamlet back in the castle. He's been thrown out of the castle. Act four, he's out of the castle. And no one, everyone's like, can we get him back in the castle? That's what we need. So it's a little bit baggy, I think. I can't believe I'm saying it because it's like one of the great works of Western <laughs> literature, no doubt. And I'm being critical and I'm like, it's a little bit bad. It's overridden Shakespeare. <laughs> I, 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 kinda, I, I know what I'm saying. Um but for me, Macbeth never flags. It is always paced forward. What is going to happen to Macbeth? What's going to happen to Lady Macbeth? Um, so I, I think I would nominate that for just his very best work. Um, can I tell you guys something that I think you will find interesting? They did a poll yes. of the British people not long ago, and they asked them basically what plays were the most popular and their criteria were what plays have you seen what plays have you read do you guys want to take yeah, a stab get... pardon the pun oh. take a stab at what the most popular <laughs> um, plays in shakespeare's corpus were so this is based all... on that pun julius caesar, julius caesar? <laughs> <laughs> no i mean he julius caesar is certainly popular but uh not top three Okay, Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I feel like everyone knows Romeo and Juliet. Even if they haven't actually read it, they definitely know it. That was number one. Hamlet? Romeo and Juliet's number one. But I would have... Okay. okay. 
And then I would have said Macbeth. That's number two. Macbeth is number two. You're doing great, Elizabeth. <laughs> Just started it this year. <laughs> no. um, and Hamlet's not number three? Oh, no. Hamlet's number four. I'll give that away. Hamlet's number four. Is it a, a comedy sheep. or tragedy? It's a comedy. Midsummer, Midsummer Night's, Night's Dream. Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. Hmm. So on the plays, the thing we just started discussing Midsummer Night's Dream, and this is the first question that I asked for Act One. Is like, why is Midsummer Night's Dream number three? And we <laughs> we had all sorts of reasons. <laughs> is it partially a reflection of the British educational system? I <laughs> that's not one that came up, Yikes. but maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah. If the criteria was what have you read? <laughs> I wonder, I mean, this is pertinent for for book fair because you talk so much to teachers, homeschooling parents, et cetera. Um, my theory about Midsummer Night's Dream might play into, you know, like the questions that your audience is asking about Shakespeare. I think that he, that Midsummer Night's Dream is so popular because it is the play for high school students. For high school productions. And the reason mm-hmm. that I think is you don't really have a lead character. So you don't have to just have like just an outstanding actor or actress to play Hamlet, Lady Macbeth, these big Titanic roles. You kind of have maybe six to eight lead characters, you know? And yeah. I think the other reason it's so often produced in high school is because it's just so fantastical and fun. It's, it's, you know, people are putting on donkey's heads and sprinkling magic fairy dust and flying around the air. And I think high school students love it, right? I think they love it. So why not perform it? And I have all these things in my head of movies where people in high school or even elementary schools are putting on Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. Like you see it right. all the time represented oh, yeah. that way. Yeah, that's, Absolutely. that's true because my high school didn't do it, but I called that to mind, not because I've even read it, but because... It's seamlessly in some pop culture of a lot of movies and stories. Yeah. 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 That's and really all interesting. the world's a stage. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have done um, a bit of a deep dive with Hamlet lately. Somebody picked the book. Um, Tim, are you familiar with the book Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell? I've not read it, but I'm familiar. I know about it. So that got picked for our In Real Life book club. So we were going to read that, and one of our members brought to my attention that our local big theater was doing a production of Hamlet the month before. So um, I had read the year before A.J. Hartley's Hamlet. Do you know his versions of Hamlet and Beth? No. So he's written um, like novelized versions of Hamlet and Macbeth to familiarize them, like the plots for modern audiences and audible has these really great full cast versions of them. So I had listened to that last year and kind of gotten back into, okay, this is actually the whole plot of this, of this story. And then when we had Hamnet coming up, I was like, well, I want to refresh on Hamlet. So I bought tickets to go see the play. And the week before we went to see the play, I traded off I had my big complete works of Shakespeare, like doorstop on my lap, and I was playing the Patrick Stewart, David Tennant movie on Amazon and reading along with 
the book. Now they skip things, like you said. So I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what did you do? Right, right. <laughs> okay, I have to pause here while I read some, you know, catch up. So I read it interspersed with all of the, the Plays the Thing episodes and listened to you guys talk about it. And it was absolutely fantastic. Like I felt like I got the best of all the worlds in all of that. And I got to top it off by going to see a live show. And it was just, it was so and how amazing. how was... How was the live show? So I really enjoyed it. And like, I really enjoyed, you know, live seeing the actors and watching someone's interpretation of it. Um, I will say that they cut it so much. The whole thing was less than like with intermission was like two hours and 20 minutes. So it it was really cut. And so my husband and I both said like... We didn't have much emotional impact at the end. Like when I got to the end of the movie, I was like teary. And it's a big deal for me to like really cry. I'm not really a crier. But there was impact. Like when David Tennant dies and, you know, Horatio's got him in his arms and like, yeah, I was, I was gutted. You know, you're like, oh, I'm, you're like feeling it. Right. And I really liked, I think I liked more the way they did the first half. But at the end of the second half, I was kind of like, eh. You didn't bring All me right. along. Yeah, yeah, it was it was too I think it was too truncated. Yeah. Too bad. They took scissors to the MC Hammer pants bagginess of that fourth act. <laughs> and they Seems suffered like because of it. <laughs> too bad. Too but bad. That's why I, I enjoyed doing the whole thing. Because as a whole experience, I still felt like I got so much out of it. And then I did like a major like hour long session in my commonplace book and went through and wrote all of the quotes that I'd gotten and thought about, you know, all the quotes that I really enjoyed. And so I felt like I really had a whole experience with the play. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I played Hamlet. I want to tell you guys a story if you don't mind. I've been, I know I've been yammering this whole time. I just get excited. I love the subject. I love our subject. Um, no, there's that's, a that's scene. why we had you on here. Tim. This is the best. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, there's a scene. It's right before the intermission. I think it's probably act three, scene five or something like this. And where um, Hamlet has killed Polonius. And now he's kind of running around the castle and everybody's trying to find him. And then he's finally brought back to the king. And the king is like, you got to get out of here. You just killed Polonius. You know, I dispatch thee away from the castle. And the guy who plays the way that we stages, I was standing, I was, I, I pretended like I was in chains, like I was handcuffed because I'm just trying to flaunt the king at this point. Like, I know you did this. I now you're married to my mother. I know who you are. And the only reason I can't kill you is because I'll get killed immediately afterwards. That's where Hamlet is at this moment of the play. So he's brought in to the king and Hamlet has a line where Polonius, sorry, the Claudius says, where's Polonius? And Hamlet says something like, um, in heaven, send men to find him. If he be not there, search for him in the other place yourself. It's a great line. <laughs> and every night that we performed, I would get more in our Claudius's face, the king's face. Seek for him in the other place yourself. And one night, 
it was one of the best acting moments of my entire life. The guy playing Claudius, I said, he be in heaven. Send men to find him. If he be not there, seek him in the other place yourself. Our Claudius slapped me across the face hard, <laughs> like snot flying across the face. Oh, that's amazing. It was incredible. He did not tell me beforehand, which is good. I mean, I think this is like what acting is. Did is like, I'm going to surprise you. He told me back, backstage afterwards, he was like, I kept getting so mad at you. Every night that you would do that, I kept getting so mad at you that I wanted to slap you. And I decided- I'll let it go. Right in the spur of the moment, I was going to slap you. And he slapped me. He slapped me hard. <laughs> and I, he slapped me so hard that I like forgot my next lines. And then I kind of recovered. You know, I oh, made sure. something up. And then I went off stage or whatever. And then I saw him backstage. And he said, he said after he did the first time, he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, that was the best thing we've – do it again. And so every <laughs> night – I would seek for him the other place yourself. And sometimes he would slap me and sometimes he wouldn't. I never knew what was coming. I just had to be prepared. It was just electric. It was so great. Oh, that cool. is so, so your awesome. immediate feedback on your performance was whether or not you got slapped. Exactly. Like, Man, he didn't slap me tonight. I wasn't really on tonight. He didn't slap me. <laughs> Must have been sub <laughs> That's really great. That is awesome. So I just have to ask this question before we start moving toward wrapping up. Because I have heard people say this, like, I probably would enjoy Shakespeare, but I just don't understand it. So what do you say to somebody who's been listening to this? And they're like, you know, I'm a reader and all, but I just don't get the language. Yeah, you're not alone. The language is hard. Um, But if you want to commit to it, I recommend two things. I would first recommend let an actor, let a good actor do the hard work for you. So mm-hmm. again, I'm going to recommend Andrew Scott's Hamlet because he understands all the words and has such an emotional connection with those words. He will help you understand what's going on with this difficult language. So it's not cheating to listen to a good actor. In fact, that's the way it was designed to be. It was designed mm-hmm. to have great actors interpret these words for you. If you have time, this would be number two for me, try to memorize a monologue and perform it for your family at the dinner table. Not like a big (laughs) performance, but just I'm going to say these lines to you. And in the course of memorizing, I have no doubt whatsoever that as you are driving to memorize, you will have to understand what the words mean because our memories are tied to their how do I say this? If you don't have an emotional connection with the words, then memorizing will be even harder. So, I mean, I think this is a real key to the way that our memories work. What do we remember most vividly? Those most emotional moments in our lives, whether they be happy or sad or angry, what have you. So there's some connection physiological between our memories and our emotional you know, states. So making yourself memorize something, you will want to form an emotional connections to the words to help you remember what Richard III means, what he's saying, now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the son of York. So that's the second thing that I would say. And the third thing that I would say is um, 
if you've tried those two things, then you should feel free to read Shakespeare with the footnotes. But that's way down the line. I I, I feel like I'm... Um, my friend Matt Bianco came to me and he's like, you really don't want people to read Shakespeare. And it's not true. I do want people to read Shakespeare. I think the people, I think the reason that people don't read Shakespeare is for what you just said, Trisha. Like, I just can't get into the language. It's just so intimidating. And I think reading is sort of like the final step and not even a necessary step necessarily to, to really enjoying Shakespeare and understanding the language. That's super interesting. Yeah, this is so different than how we would talk about approaching an old great work novel. And I'm loving that you're saying, like, I'm giving you permission and this is not cheating. Like, reminding that this is how it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. This is how it was meant to be. Like, we're on a book podcast, but this is a play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also feel like you're you're being really modest because... I feel like your project, The Plays the Thing, is another way to really help people walk through and understand Shakespeare. So I love that podcast. I have used it um, for myself more as a reference. I don't so much like follow along in real time as like pick plays out as I go along and then listen to them. And it's just extraordinarily helpful. so tell us about that project, why you continue to do it, and what's going on over there right now. The, the Plays the Thing set a goal probably four years ago when we started to go through act by act every scene, every um, play of Shakespeare's. So he wrote 37 plays, which is just incredible in and of itself, but I won't dwell on that. He wrote 37 plays and we are getting close to, we will probably finish the plays, the thing this year, meaning we will have done all the plays. So what we do is we go, I know, isn't that amazing? Wow. In fairness, we are taking some of the lesser plays like Cymbeline, which is I think probably like third to the last play that he wrote. And we're just doing one-off episodes. We're not doing a full five-act discussion on Cymbeline and some of the other plays. But for the vast majority of the plays, we're going, we've gone act by act through every scene, every play of Shakespeare's. And I invite guests on to join me. And, and this is my kind of the way that I think about who the guest should be. We're all amateurs in that, in that original meaning of the word amateur from the Latin, which meant, you know, a lover of something. That's what an amateur originally meant. So I have found in my own kind of experience of Shakespeare that the more degree, this is, this is a little bit silly, but I'm going to say it anyway. The more degrees someone has in Shakespeare, the less interesting they are to listen to talk about Shakespeare. So (laughs) we really pride ourselves and we know what we're talking about, right? But we're also amateurs and we just love Shakespeare. And we're also just not, it's not about being super, super professional and polished and talk about like all the different quartos and the first publication of, you know, the folio and all that sort of, we just don't really talk about that too much. We love the plays, love the characters, love the psychology, love the language, and we celebrate it. It doesn't mean that we don't 
pick a fight sometimes with Shakespeare. You know, we asked a question, we asked, you know, is, is Merchant of Venice an anti-Semitic play? There are parts. It sure seems like it's an, like, like Shakespeare might be anti-Semitic. So we are not afraid to talk about those things, but for the most part, we're celebrating who we think might be the greatest writer in Western civilization and almost surely the greatest writer in our language. Yeah. We have talked about this before, and I think it bears repeating, especially with Shakespeare, is it's okay to just let the language wash over you. Yes. And as Andrew Kern says, understanding is overrated. And in my experience with art, all forms and great art, that familiarity breeds love. Mm. And so just the more you revisit it and just let it wash over you, maybe that's something that can help take you from respect to love. I've experienced, I've begun to experience that myself with it. I, that is so well said. <laughs> Thanks. And back to listening to somebody who loves it, talk about it. That's another great thing about listening to something like the plays, the thing. So I had had zero experience with King Lear. It's nothing I'd mm. ever done in high school or college. Didn't know a thing about it. Decided I wanted to read it. So I queue up, you know, Episode one of the plays, the thing. And here's Tim saying, this is my, at that point, you said, this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite Shakespeare play. And so, you know, it just, it gets you excited about it. And so what I did was, again, my big, big old complete works of Shakespeare. I got it out and Hoopla from my library has free full cast recordings of great actors reading it. And I would just sit there with my book and let my hoopla read it to me and read, you know, go through act one and then listen to the podcast. And there was so much I did not get. Like there were whole sections where I has I have no clue what that person just said. But the experience of just hearing it and getting into the language. And I remember having this experience with Romeo and Julia, even in high school, that strangely, the more you read it, the more you understand it. Like you think this just seems like nonsense, but then the more you just listen and listen and listen, suddenly you're like, oh, I understand what they're saying. Like, even if you don't understand every word, it's kind of like learning a language. Like you're, you start to understand the meaning. And as I sat there listening to King Lear and then with the background that Tim and his friends on that, those episodes were giving me, I got to the end and I felt like I'd had this like beautiful, rich experience. And it made me want to go back and do it again. Like talking about it right now, I'm like, oh, let's go do it again. Because it just, there's always, there's always more to get. And there's so much beauty in the language and the stories. Amen. Do y'all have anything else, Trisha or Elizabeth? Right. Well, Tim, this has just been a joy. Yeah, this has been and really thank fun. Thank you so much. And Tim, we talked about this earlier before we started, but just... Since Trisha saw him last summer, yeah, he's got some great news. You want to share? It? Yeah, my my wife and I are expecting our first child in five weeks. Five weeks. Woo-hoo! I know we are <laughs> because it's the first time for both of us. Um, we don't know what's on the other side of the birth. You know, aside from this little one, like how is our lives going to change in probably every way, right? And you guys have, you know been through this you know what's going on um so i appreciate any well wishes that you send my way because right now if i'm totally honest 
I'm feeling all the responsibility on the other side of birth, but I don't know the little one yet. So I don't, I don't know any of the joy that hopefully is coming my way. Galen is, it's very different for Galen. Galen and this baby are sharing a one bedroom apartment. You know, they, yeah, they know right. each other already a little bit, <laughs> but I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. They're fighting over space. They're fighting over space. That's well, right. It's starting to get a little territorial now. <laughs> For someone who loves story, you will see it as the greatest story. You know, it will be mm, yours. That's great. It will be the greatest adventure that you ever experience, but it's yours. And yeah. congratulations to you both. Thank it's you very really, much. It's a really great thing, parenting. Thank you. <laughs> I sometimes tell people what my sister said a month after she had her first baby. She said, this is both the best and the worst thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that's like, you know, it's like fair warning, you know, like it's, it's the most wonderful thing you can possibly imagine. And sometimes you want to shoot yourself in the head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Tim, I know that when I've been in plays, there's always a point where I'm like, why have I done this again? Mm. This moment is I'm so miserable right now. Mm. <laughs> Yet it ends up being wonderful and you keep coming back for more. But um, we're just so, so thrilled for y'all. And thank you. And we're so glad you ha- had time to come on and, and talk to us about your love for Shakespeare. And um, listeners, we're going to put a post for this episode in our Facebook group. And if you are not there, maybe you're new and don't know about it. Just search Book Fair Podcast. Get your MC Hammer pants and come on in. <laughs> and we want to know, what is your experience with Shakespeare? Did you read it in high school? What did you think? Did you Have you read it since? Have you read it as an adult or as a family? If you have, which ones? And mm. what do you think about them? Has Shakespeare impacted your life? Have you moved from respect to love for it? Or are you still like, I don't get it? You know, let's go on this journey together. So jump on in there and let us know. And you can catch Tim on the Plays the Thing podcast and also Close Reads podcast, which you guys know we love that, um, that podcast. And Tim, I want to, I'm excited to personally, I want to thank you for blessing me and downstream my family for close reads. I've been listening since the beginning and I've have been learning how to read Mm. and therefore how to think. Mm. And I think be a little bit more human and men with chests and all that. So I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All of your time and effort there. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Tim, for coming on. We just are so thrilled. And it just popped into my head. Listeners, maybe if we could get up the courage to tackle a Shakespeare play as one of our book club reads for book fair, maybe we could talk Tim to coming back, talk Tim into coming back and discussing it with I, I us. I bet you could. I <gasps> bet oh, you that could. would be so I'm much sure fun. That would be so that much fun. That would be fantastic. <laughs> um, let me great. know. Let me go what you okay. guys choose. And if you end up doing this, I'd love to come back. That would be so oh, fun. <laughs> We'll see if we can entice them into picking a shit. We vote, Tim. So it's, you know, it's democratic. So we'll see if we can entice them into voting for a Shakespeare play. That would be amazing. It sounds great. Yeah. And until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy Shakespeare reading. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe. 
to Book Fair Podcast. Join our private Facebook group. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And you can help us continue to grow. Share an episode with a friend, mention us on social media, and leave a review in your podcast app. We'll see you next Tuesday.